Hey, I'm Kelly McEvers. And I'm Chris Benderev. And this is Embedded. And these episodes about coal and jobs during the first year and change of Donald Trump's administration are in order. So if you haven't, go back and listen from the beginning. Every Memorial Day, when Corita Brown was little, her parents would take her on a long drive to visit her grandparents. Both of her grandfathers were coal miners, and so were nearly all the men in the town where they lived, Lynch, Kentucky. When Corita and her family got to Lynch, there'd be all this good food, tons of other kids to play with. Everybody knew who Corita was. And everyone was black, like her. All I knew was that it was this black world, not only in Lynch, but all Appalachia, in my mind, was black. Corita got older and realized Appalachia was actually majority white. But still, she wanted to know, how did black people end up in this Kentucky town working as coal miners? So she studied sociology, and now she researches this stuff. She actually calls it the great migration story you've never heard. And it started in the early 1900s. Corita's grandfather rode the rails to Kentucky from Alabama. And other black men were brought up north by recruiters. One of these recruiters was called Limehouse. A skinny white guy with a straw hat. And he would leave Kentucky, go down to Alabama, and round up black men, many who were working as sharecroppers. And he would bring folks on the back of his truck, um, carrying sugarcane, corn, watermelon. And he would get each man a job in a coal mine. And then once they worked off whatever they owed Limehouse, Limehouse would then go back to Alabama and get his wife and kids. At one point, so many black families came to the town. 10% of the county it's in, Harlan County, was black. But eventually, machines did more and more work in the coal mines, and the black guys' jobs were the first to go. Teachers, parents, pastors told the younger generation, you better do good in school because there are not going to be any jobs in the mines for you when you graduate. Karita's dad graduated high school on a Friday and left on a Monday. From 1940 to 1970, 70 percent of the African Americans who were in the county left. Karita's parents went north to New York. But she says coming back to visit Kentucky with a lot of the other families who left helped her feel like she belonged somewhere. And she says you wouldn't know it from what you saw during the presidential campaign, but Appalachia and coal, that's her story, too. It was one of those things that gave me something to hold on to that I had a lot of pride about because all of my family members in that community also shares that pride. Corita's Aunt Mary later left New York and went back to Kentucky. She was worried there were too many drugs in New York. And Mary eventually had a grandson named Derek Acow. In today's show, we're going to tell Derek's story. Derek is 23. He still lives in Lynch. But for him, the history of the place is not so comforting. Like a lot of people we've talked to, he says being young and trying to stay in central Appalachia and make a life is not easy. But here's what's different from people you heard in our other episodes, and we will get back to them later. Now that Donald Trump has been elected and there's been this little upturn in Met Cole we've been talking about, some people around Derek feel like Trump has made things better. 
at least for coal. But Derek is not so sure about that. And he thinks in other ways, Trump is making things worse. Support for NPR and the following message come from Newsy, the TV news channel with honest, in-depth context on the stories that matter. Newsy is for people who aren't satisfied with getting only the loudest part of the story. Newsy delivers more, more context, more solutions, and greater understanding of the people and events that shape our world. Learn more at newsy.com watch. Whether it's athlete protests, the Muslim travel ban, gun violence, school reform, or just the music that's giving you life right now, race is the subtext to so much of the American story. And on Code Switch, we make that subtext text. You can listen to us on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we first heard about Corita and her cousin Derek on this series, Struggle to Stay on a show called Inside Appalachia by West Virginia Public Broadcasting. And they were following young people who were deciding whether to stay or go. Derek Akal was one of them. I mean, for Derek, the struggle to stay is really a struggle to leave. That's reporter Benny Becker. He followed Derek for about a year. And in the first story in the series, Benny goes with Derek to the field where Derek played football in Harlan County, Kentucky. It's called Coal Miners Memorial Stadium. Derek started to get nostalgic, remembering how he used to feel walking onto the field back when he played here in high school. Derek was really good at football in high school. He had a scholarship to play in college. He was hoping to go pro. Benny and Derek talk about his high school team's theme song. We walked through here. Everybody was going crazy. And they would start playing a song called um, You Never Leave Harlan Alive. You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive. I'm not a big fan of country music. That's the place where I trace my bloodline. But you know, you got me pumped up like crazy. There I read on a hillside gravestone. I love it. It's, I think it's. There's something really striking in the fact that the most one of the most famous songs about this place is that you'll never leave alive and Derek is trying to leave. That's just, you know, it's slapping you in the face with its symbolism of something. When Derek was a senior in high school in the first football game of the regional tournament, there was a kickoff. Derek tackled the receiver. But then his head snapped back. And he broke two vertebrae in his neck. He was in a brace for four months. He went ahead to college thinking he'd eventually play. But then a doctor told him it wasn't a good idea. Uh, The doctor looked me straight in the face and he just told me the the honest truth. He was like, if you really want, if you want to be walking for the rest of your life, you have to hang up the cleats. And so you just have to. All of a sudden, Derek's big plan to play football was over. So he left college and started making other plans. Always have more than three plans. Plan A, plan B, plan C. You got to have them through the whole alphabet. 
Derek has thought about becoming a state trooper, a model, a NASCAR mechanic, a NASCAR driver, to work on railroads, on an oil rig, in the solar industry. At one point, he visited California, then came back home, looked for a job in Lynch but had no luck, so he made money cutting people's hair, then went to Georgia, installed poles that hold power lines. But that job didn't work out, so he came back home again. And during that time, Donald Trump was promising to bring back coal. And Derek, who lives in this place where people's lives depend on coal, wanted to believe him. You know, I ain't gonna lie, he got my hopes up, you know, talking about it, you know. He got my hopes up. And I was like, you know what, he, he, like, he might be for real, you know, as crazy as he is, you know, as he sounds and stuff like that. Then, after the election, metallurgical coal took this upturn that we've been talking about. And Derek's best friend, Joe Bart Watts, got a job in coal. And Joe Bart tried to convince Derek to do it, too. I mean, we always talked about stuff, you know, to do together because we, we're that close, you know. And he was like, hey, man, come on, try to get on with the coal mines and stuff like that. Everybody's always said there ain't no promise in coal, ain't no future in it, you know. But it's picked up a little bit since Trump got in office, and it's pretty good. I like it. Best job I ever had. That's Derek's buddy, Joe Bart. But still, Derek wasn't sure about coal. And there's always something, you know, in the back of my head saying, like, oh, yeah, don't do that. They ain't going to hire you. Derek wears nice shirts, cool glasses, sometimes earrings. And he's black. There's not many black people that works in the coal mines and stuff like that. And I feel like if I actually try to get in, I don't think they would hire me. Joe Bart is white, and he thinks Derek could get a coal job if he wanted one. So does Joe Bart's dad, who's also a coal miner. Still, coal for Derek is like Plan U. It's pretty far down the list. But the thing about Derek's town is, coal is that story that just keeps swirling around you. The one you can't get away from. But it's also a place where the story about coal right now is actually a couple of conflicting stories. And it depends on who you ask. Derek is basically here because of coal. The name of his town, Lynch, is from Thomas Lynch, who was an executive at U.S. Steel. And U.S. Steel built the town in 1917. It was the First World War, and there was a big demand for steel. So you always lived in this, this spot? Yeah, for like... 13, 14 years. Really? Yeah, always been my house, you know, been home for years. This park right here, this has always been here. Yeah. It's nice. It's a nice view. And U.S. Steel built everything in town. Houses, stores, a baseball field, and this big brick school right behind Derek's house. It was called the Lynch Colored Public School. There's a huge concrete block on the front of the building that still says that. The school was integrated in 1963, then closed in the 80s. And now it's a social club, a place where people who have left Lynch stay and hang out when they come back for reunions. And my granddad used to be the president over there. You know, I spent a lot of years over there, too. Derek's grandpa worked in the coal mines. He died several years ago. Many of the black families in Lynch live on these two parallel streets, First Street and Second Street. And when I'm there, people are out walking from house to house, stopping by other people's porches to say hi. On Sunday morning, it seems like the whole neighborhood walks or drives to church down at the end of First Street. 
one of the deacons in church is a guy named George Massey. He and his brother Benny Massey both worked in coal. And in some ways, these guys are like a lot of retired coal miners we've met in central Appalachia. For them, it was a good job, an honorable job. They feel lucky to have made it out alive. And like a lot of people around here, they see politics through coal. Like when candidate Hillary Clinton said that thing about putting a whole lot of coal miners out of business. George and Benny think she made a big mistake. You know why Mrs. Clinton lost the election? Because she went against the coal miners. That's how she lost the election. Don't get me wrong. What she said was right. Now, I ain't going to agree that it was wrong what she said, and, but it was the wrong time to say it. She should have she let nature take its course. It like, just let coal fade away without talking about it. What's different about George and Benny, though, from other coal miners we met before we came to Lynch, they still voted for Clinton. And if I even ask if they voted for Trump, they're like, girl, no. They do not think coal is going to make a comeback. They think Trump just said it would, so people would vote for him. Found something to ride. What? He, what? he found he something found, to ride. He, you know, he could tell the coal mines, he's going to do this for him, do this for him. I'm going to open your minds back up, and I'm going to do this. Yeah. They got in there. They haven't did nothing for the coal mines. Nothing. It's going to fade out in 10 years. You you won't even hear no, about no coal mine. In 10 years, it'd be done away with. After church, I'm sitting on Derek's back porch, and this middle-aged guy who lives in the county says the same thing that I and Derek have been hearing from a lot of people in the neighborhood. Coal is not going to make some big comeback. The guy says a lot of white people he works with will argue with him and say coal is coming back. He didn't want to go on tape, but he says this difference is about privilege. He even starts giving Derek and the younger guys at the table a little lecture on it. Like, when coal went bad, he says, a lot of the black people left because they had to leave to get work. Some of the white people, he says, were able to stay. Maybe they had an uncle who had a shop or a grandfather with some land they could live on. So now some of these people are excited about coal and the few jobs that might be coming back because they're jobs they feel like they can get. Like I said, before Donald Trump got elected, Derek wanted to believe some of the things he said about bringing back coal jobs. But now Derek worries that Trump is bringing out what he calls people's underground racism. Like on social media, after news reports that an African-American has been shot and killed by police. They always say, like, oh, yeah, he shouldn't have been out there, or he shouldn't be doing this, or he shouldn't be doing that, you know. Should have got a job, or maybe he wouldn't have got shot. Saying stupid stuff like that, you know. There's been, you know, black people that's been getting shot by police, you know, way before Trump even got elected. But it's like, ever since this is going on, you know, every shooting is like on social media and everything. The people that are saying the dumbest stuff are literally Trump supporters, you know. And it's sad, you know. And like whenever they say something, you know, say some racist stuff, they'd be like, go Trump, make America great again. And after the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, when a woman who was protesting was hit by a driver and killed. Whenever he said that there was very fine people, 
that's why we didn't really bother me you know it's like whenever that person went through that protesting and, and like hit everybody you know with that car and everything and you got the kkk up there you know saying like all this racist stuff and like for him to call him like you know very fine people you know just felt like a really big slap in the face basically you know like how could you So at this point, here's where Derek's at. Remember how he visited California? He loved the place so much, he's decided he wants to move there. His cousin, Corita Brown, who you heard at the beginning, lives there. She's a professor at UCLA. So his plan was to get a job at a factory near Lynch and save enough money to leave. The factory makes clothes for the U.S. military. Derek kept going back to the factory again and again for a year. It just took me, like, forever. Going over there, you know, I just kept on bugging him. I was like, hey, when you going to hire me? Like, when you going to hire me, you know? So during that year, Derek went to Georgia and worked on power lines. Then he came back. And recently, he finally got the factory job. It's long hours. He started at $9 an hour and now makes $11 an hour. That's a lot less than his buddy Joe Bard, who works at a coal prep plant, makes. Derek thinks about that, too. But for now, he's sticking it out at the factory saving up for the California plan. He wants to be somewhere where he feels like he can shoot for the stars and have a big impact. That's reporter Benny Becker again. And I think he's given up on that even being possible around here. I mean, most of the time that I've been following Derek, his struggle, he's had this vision of wanting to end up in kind of a big, prosperous city where there are good-paying jobs and also where there's room to keep growing and trying to live out his dreams. But... It just takes a good bit of money to make the move and get set up and make sure that if things mess up, you're not ending up in a really bad situation. So Derek's being really careful about it is part of what makes it hard to like save up the money and do all the things. But it's also just hard to save up money when you're trying to save money in a place where, I mean, you're lucky if you can get a job that pays $10 an hour. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Akimbo, a new podcast by entrepreneur and best-selling author Seth Godin. Over a million readers turn to Godin's daily blog to inspire their life and work. Akimbo is a lot like Godin's blog, just 20 minutes of insights you can use in your life or business. Learn why grand openings are overrated, how to overcome creative block, and how to embrace the power of placebos. Subscribe to Akimbo in Stitcher or your podcast app, or visit sethspodcast.com to learn more. There's nothing like a movie theater on a hot day. And there's nothing like a good show you can binge watch with a cold glass of lemonade. Summer is the perfect time to find your next favorite thing, and Pop Culture Happy Hour is here to help. Find us on the NPR One app or wherever you get podcasts. Okay, we're back. So this whole time that Derek's been talking about going to California, you can tell that he really wants to do it. But you can also tell that it might be hard for him to leave home. And it's not just about the money. 
He's really close with his grandma and his mom, who he lives with. He loves the mountains and snake hunting and fishing. And his best friend, Joe Bart Watts. They hang out basically whenever they aren't sleeping or working. Although lately, that hasn't been so easy. They both got girlfriends. <laughs> so you never see each other. Yeah, we get, we get, our, we get our bro time in. Every time, every now and then, but yeah, man, like, <laughs> like yesterday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we sneak off every now and then. Right now, we're sneaking off to one of their favorite spots, Black Mountain. I'm driving. Joe Bart's in the front seat giving the tour. But the Lynch football field used to be down there. Oh, really? And the basic message from these two guys is this area is suffering. Now it's everything we can do to stay on our feet. You're 30 minutes from a Walmart. We got Food City, you know, but... But, Derek says from the back seat, the Food City grocery store never has the food that they actually want. Yeah, burnout on Hardy, Subway, Pizza Hut, and Mexican. It's gotten so bad, Derek says, that he's worked his way through the entire Hardy's menu. Except for the Thick Burger, which is a hamburger topped with potato chips and a hot dog. I want to try that. I think that was disgusting. We get out of the car, and they instantly forget all the things they don't like about this place. Because we're at the top of this mountain, right on the Kentucky-Virginia border. And it's beautiful. Rolling green hills, as far as you can see. And they start telling me the story of how they became friends in second grade during Little League. Baseball was our thing. Joe Bart's dad and Derek's grandpa, both coal miners, became close too. They'd have competitions over who could make the best barbecue sauce. But they always beef about it, you know. When Joe Bart's house burned down in an accident, Derek helped rebuild a new house for his friend. After high school, though, they started to go in different directions. And I remember him telling me, he's like, hey, dog, I'm about to get started working in the coal mines. And, like, I was excited for him, you know, because it's the coal mines, you know, big money, you know, <laughs> big-time money right there, good job right there, you know. And I, like, Joe Bart says Derek should do the same thing. Up here on the mountain, they go back and forth about it. Like, like, I don't like, 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 to put it this way, it's like you don't see many, you know, black coal miners, you know, at all. You don't see many of them. Joe Bart says Derek could get hired, but he'd have to be persistent, the same way Joe Bart had to be. He says he had to go to the prep plant three or four times a week for two months to get a job. He doesn't work inside a mine, but the money is really good. As we've been talking, these dark clouds have been drifting in on us. Should we get in the car? Yeah. After we get in the car, Derek explains why he's not still sold on Joe Bart's argument. If I'm waiting, you know, a whole year just to get on at a factory... You know, how long is it going to take for me to get onto a coal mine, you know? What do you make of that, I guess? Uh, well, I mean, he might feel different, but like me, I was the youngest hire they had over. You know, I was 20 years old. They're going to push your buttons, you know. They're going to work you like a dog, but regardless of race, they're going to push your buttons anyway. Then it shows you that you want to work and they give you respect. You know, you work right there with them, become part of the family. This is the Derek Jobart divide. Derek feels like being black might prevent him from getting a coal job. Joe Bart says coal jobs have nothing to do with race. Derek, supported Obama, is disturbed by headlines of police shootings of black men and thinks that the current president has made racist statements. Or at least pretty close, Derek says. Joe Bart is totally satisfied with President Trump. He thinks people talk too much about race these days. And he wants a border wall. You guys are a, a rare thing today, basically, in America, because you guys seem to have somewhat different, like, views on the president, but you guys are still friends. And, like, how do you do that? 
just because the way the world's in the shape it in ain't gonna let it affect our relationship you know just because we got a president that we might not see the same page on so what like like we always gonna be friends you know most of the time we just laugh about it you know because we've been cool to way way too long you know to let something come in between us you know The next day, I meet up with Derek alone. I keep asking him, do you ever feel like Joe Bart doesn't appreciate how your life might be different as a black guy in this coal mining town? And Derek says, I've got it wrong about Joe Bart. Like, I, like I'll tell you one story. Uh, like, we went to Lowe's. Uh, this one day, they were looking for tools. Joe Bart loves tools. And they were in Virginia. And I was the only black guy, basically, in that store. And we was looking at some tools and stuff, and like I was in my phone just walking. And Joe Bart was walking, and he looks up, and he's like, man, I don't know why that dude just keeps staring at you. And, you know, and I look over, and I just see a dude just, like, just staring at me. And Joe Bart was mad about it. He was like, he's been staring at you for, like, five to ten minutes. And he's acting like, why, like, why am I here? That, like, that's the type of look that that dude had. Like, why are you, like, why are you in here? And Joe Bart was like, come on, let's go. Like, you know, let's go get, get let's go ahead and get out of here. And what did you feel? When he told me, he, like, it was, like, good, you know, it felt good because, you know, somebody, you know, had my back. Like, if that dude would have said something to me, you know, we would probably all be hooking in that in Lowe's. I guarantee you, Joe Burrow probably threw the first punch if he got down to it. So, yeah, two guys who are still tight even though they disagree on stuff. And one is working in coal, and the other one's not. In that way, they're kind of like Kyle and Isaiah from our other episodes. The last time we heard from Kyle, he had just gotten a job in a coal mine, and Isaiah didn't think he would last. He thinks I'm just full of it all the time. He thinks I just like to bounce around and just think of stuff to do, but never really go through with it. And I was like, well, we'll see. I'm excited to prove him wrong. When he told me that he got the job, I was like, you're not going to go down there. You're going to get to that, the face of it, and you're going to be like, no, can't do it. I'm leaving. <laughs> that is on the next Embedded. Like I said, we first heard about Derek and Corita and Lynch in a series called Struggle to Stay on the show Inside Appalachia by West Virginia Public Broadcasting. You can check it out at wvpublic.org. Benny Becker, who first reported on Derek for the series, is a reporter at Apple Shop's WMMT. It's a community radio station in Whitesburg, Kentucky. And he reports for the Ohio Valley Resource, which covers Kentucky, West Virginia, and southeastern Ohio. This episode of Embedded was reported by Benny, Chris Benderev, and me. It was produced by Chris, Lisa Pollock, and Noor Wazwaz. It was edited by Lisa and mixed by Chris and Noor. We also had editing help from Karen Grigsby-Bates, Neil Carruth, Tom Dreisbach, Neva Grant, Jennifer Ludden, and Mark Mehmet. Fact-checking is by Greta Pittenger. Our lawyer is Ashley Messenger. Our theme song is by Colin Wamsgans. Other original music is by Ramtin Arablouei. Thank you to Taylor Kirkendall from S&P Global Market Intelligence for Cole Jobs data. Thanks to Malik Simmons for tape of the football game at Derrick's Old High School. 
You can see photographs by Carol Guzzi of the people in the coal stories at NPR.org. Thanks also to Bill Shobe, Ruth Sherlock, Joe Street, Rima Keen, Susan Stancil, Corita Brown, Elizabeth Catt, Chris Dillo, Tony Matney, Tom McLaughlin, Kate Larkin, Elizabeth Barrett, and Roger May. Embedded is executive produced by Anya Grundman, Chris Turpin, and me. We are back next week with more coal stories. In the meantime, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Reach out to us on Twitter at NPR Embedded. Okay, that's it. Thanks.